Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. This is Rena. Where, as you know, I'm out and about looking for ways and experts to help us get to great health and to live a very long life. As you know, I've been doing a lot of podcasts, talking to a lot of experts, and different experts have perspectives on different diseases, different illnesses. But what if there was a simple way that you could impact your digestion, your longevity, your mood, and many more things with a simple way of life? So as I was reading about and and listening to some different podcasts, I came across a brilliant, fascinating man, Dr. Russell Jaff, who is seriously overqualified with MD, PhD, bachelor's in science, who also did his residency training in the clinical chemistry at the National Institute of Health and has since become an amazing award-winning scientist with two different companies, including the founder of the famous ELISA ACT testing. So we have Dr. Jaff today, and he is going to talk about the alkaline way. Welcome, Dr. Jaff. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about why we should listen to you. Well, if you are on the alkaline side, you're healthier and more resilient, and if you're not, you're going to die. So let's start at the basics. For those of our listeners who don't even know what alkaline is, Ah, what is alkaline? Well, acid is fairly easy. Acid is like vinegar. Acid is tart. Acid is what will corrode the metal. Acid is pretty easy for people to understand. Alkaline, it's not so easy to understand, but it's everything other than acid. It's everything over the neutral point. It's the minerals of life. And when you stay within the biological zone, which is a very narrow area, by the way, when you stay within the biological zone, not the chemical zone, little, little, little differences make a big, big, big difference in the quality of your life, whether you have vitality, whether you're able to resist infection, uh, whether you're chronically ill, uh, little things like that. Let's talk a little bit more about how do you measure alkalinity? So for someone, again, who's saying for the first time, how do we even start? How do I know where my starting point is today? Well, Professor Jaffe says you do a venous pH, but I, Dr. Jaffe, say you just check your urine after six hours of rest because at that point you have an assessment for about a dollar as opposed to a lot more than a dollar. But after six hours of rest, the Mm -hmm. fluid in your bladder equilibrates with the cells. Now you can get up and go to the bathroom during that time, just don't get up and eat or be active or jump around. But um, after six hours of rest, the fluid in the bladder equilibrates with the cells and it's the one time of day where you get a meaningful measure of cellular metabolic acidosis. I will translate that into how much magnesium do you need so you do not have an excess of acid that shuts down your battery. Do you want your battery to shut down? No, and I think most of us are running around with batteries that are really, really down and out. Yes, you have down and out, 
you have down, you have almost down. There's a lot of flavors of yes. down. But yes. there's very and every day is a new day, right? Some days you wake up and you're feeling pretty good. Your batteries seem all right. But some days you, you wake know, up and it's, you it's know, you're going to need two cups of coffee. We'll get to the coffee in a minute. But thank you for pointing out correctly that after restorative sleep, some of us are rested and rejuvenated and we jump out of bed. You don't have to jump, but you know, you feel really good when mm -hmm. you get out of bed. Then, then the same people, the same people, the same person. Too often on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe even into Friday, they barely pour out of bed and they have to pull themselves up because their get up and go got up and went and now they're going to get six cups of coffee, not two. So I'm not opposed to a cup of organic or biodynamic shade-grown uh, Kona coffee in the morning. One, I am opposed to needing it. Mm -hmm. So I think people should get restorative sleep. And then on top of that, they should have hot water and lemon and lime or something warm uh, to greet them in the morning. I happen to like a cup of biodynamically grown Kona coffee. Uh, but again, not 16 cups. Right, right. Well, back to the test, though. So I, I would think the, test the easiest would be first thing in the morning, right? So first thing in the morning. Well, not just easiest. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, this is very important. Not just easiest. The only time when you get a measure of cellular metabolism is after rest. Mm. My colleague has pointed out that there are somewhere between 20 and 40 things that while you are active during the day, influence the pH of your urine or saliva. So that makes sense. So it does. It really does when you get into the details. So the one time of day when you can assess how much magnesium you need to meet the acids of the distress of your life is after six hours of rest, and that's the next urine. And if it's below six and a half, you need more magnesium, and you need it with choline citrate to enhance the uptake and chaperone the delivery. So that's interesting. I think I'm hearing you say that the the quickest way to balance the alkalinity in your in your body is to take a certain form of magnesium. No, I'm saying the only way. Oh, it's the only way. Aha! Why is it the only way? Because outside your cells you have calcium, and inside your cells you have magnesium. Now, magnesium is nature's calcium channel blocker. Magnesium is the buffer that protects your essential fats when they're in transit. Magnesium is the mineral that charges your mitochondrial battery. Magnesium is the thing that replaces the proton gradient so that your battery can function. Magnesium is what makes B-complex work. So magnesium, the forgotten electrolyte, is kind of important, except that in the past, we didn't know how to get it in, and when we got it in, it would run out as fast as we got it in. But now, we have a way of getting it in and chaperoning delivery to the cells that are hungry for it, and that transforms healthcare. That sounds brilliant. Now, how about taking magnesium 
through foods. I know we hear a lot about how there's been depletion in our food sources, and so we don't necessarily have the same integrity of vitamins and minerals in the foods we take. But in your experience, what do you believe are still some really good sources of magnesium in foods? And how, many, how much do you think someone needs to eat in a given day to get a high-quality source of it? Well, in two separate points. With regard to the diet, Dr. Ron Aline, Dr. Becky Castello, Dr. Andrea Rosanoff, they have all shown that magnesium in the American food supply has decreased by half in the last few decades at a time when the need for magnesium and the stress-induced need for magnesium has doubled. Oh, dear. So, as my grandmother used to say, the rents are going up and the ceilings are coming down. Mm. So half as much magnesium in the food supply, twice as much magnesium based on our lifestyle, and then if you add medicines that deplete magnesium, mm -hmm. well, you might actually need a lot more than that. So it's a big issue. The, the magnesium deficit in the past, until we had this enhanced uptake and chaperone delivery, uh, really a lot of chronic illnesses from eclampsia of pregnancy to diabetes, from hypertension to atrial fibrillation, uh, from uh, leg cramps uh, to uh, platinum chemotherapies, where doctors often give intravenous magnesium. Yes. So that, so that they can then give the chemotherapy. So there are actually lots of medicines that deplete magnesium. The food supply has half the magnesium that it used to have, mm -hmm. and our stress and our stress lifestyle has doubled the need for magnesium. That's why I said my grandmother was right. The rents are going up in the season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. But any, any couple of recommendations that you can make, though, still for the foods? Bananas? Sure. sure. Well, well, sure. Um, what do you eat? You, first of all, Half of what I eat is biodynamically sourced through my, um, I have a food forest uh, in my front yard. Oh, so wow. Seven years ago, my dear son, Sky, started a biodynamic uh, food forest uh, as a demonstration project here in Vienna, Virginia. Come and we'll eat out of that. And then we have a community-supported agriculture CSA but it happens to be biodynamic, which is like super organic. Right. And, and once a week, we get food from them. And if we need anything in the meantime, we go to the Whole Foods market and we say, do you have anything that's healthy? And they say, <laughs> well, look, look around. It's a whole market. And we say, no, no, no. Do you have anything your grandmother would eat? And they say, oh, just that. And we, we buy that. So when I read about the Alkaline Way, I see that there are seven key principles. What are those seven fundamental principles behind the Alkaline Way? Right. The seven fundamental principles behind the Alkaline Way are first, live in harmony with your metabolism. That means measure the first one in urine pH to see if you need more magnesium. The second is live in, live in harmony with your nature. When people say to me, how much protein or fat or carbohydrate do I need? Mm -hmm. I want to know who they are first and what is the nature of their life and style. I can tell you that when you run and train for marathons or elite athletics, it's very different 
than people like me who think about training for marathon, <laughs> but actually barely get off the couch. And then you have your metabolomic background, your metabolic background. Mm -hmm. Then you have your digestive or microbiomic background, and they have to be in communication or communion with each other. And then you have the environment in which you live, which either adds or subtracts to that toxic stress load. And then on top of that is what your understanding or misunderstanding can be. Because as my, Ken, as my friend Ken Pelletier says, your mind can kill and your mind can heal. And, and how do you... Sorry, yes. go ahead. Please continue. Well, no, I was just trying to finish up with this notion that we actually know the basic and fundamental issues that either evoke resilience and long-term quality of life, or they evoke short-term disability and suffering. And as Yoda, one of my teachers said, <laughs> fear leads to aggression. Aggression leads to violence, and violence leads to suffering. So, in the famous words of Yoda or his student, the Dalai Lama, stop that. <laughs> The 2,000-year-old man also agreed. <laughs> Stop that already. I like that. You know, it's so easy as, as I listen to you to say, yeah, it shouldn't be hard to follow at all. But, but we all know how difficult it is when we get into our, our routines where we are being pulled into a very high-stress work, balancing that with um, kid demands, and then trying to maybe, you know, bring into that some semblance of a social life. Mm. And now you're layering on top of it sort of a whole yeah. new way of, of eating and living. Any well, tips on how to balance and prioritize eating the, and living the alkaline way? Um, for full disclosure, I came as a skeptic and I come in peace. And what that means is I was on the permanent senior staff of the National Institutes of Health in the United States Public Health Service before I was 30 years of age. Look it up. I think I was the first person in history to accomplish that. Wow. A, you have to have a Jewish mother. B, <laughs> you have to be an overachieving, insecure person to do that. And C, you have to show up early and, 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 and stay late. And, and yes, I got in the New York Times, courtesy of Dr. Larry Altman, within that time frame. And the day I walked into the NIH with the New York Times under my arm, my boss looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, Jim, didn't you see? I'm in the New York Times. We're in the New York Times today. Front page, <laughs> right in column. He said, how long have you been here, Russell? I said, oh, about 20 minutes. He said, do you know how many people have been at NIH for 20 years and they are smarter than you and they are more important than you and they have not been in the New York Times? Go home, have a drink, and get disappeared. <laughs> Come back in a day or two. You know, they'll forget about it. <laughs> you know, ruffle, ruffle some feathers, huh? Well, you don't get battlefield promotions without ruffling a few feathers. Absolutely. You just have to have the, the people three ranks above you uh, on your side. That's right. That's right. What are some of the meds that can impact the alkalinity of our body that someone should be aware of? Let me, let me give you some examples. 
one of the great illusions in Western medicine is that people who have digestive stomach problems have too much acid when they usually have too little acid. That's right, the acid reflux yeah. problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. The reflux problem, which is actually a lack of B6 dissolved under the tongue, um, or the stomach acid for which people get H2 blockers or proton pump inhibitors that then in turn impair uptake of B complex, including B12, uh, impair the uptake of magnesium, which is already marginal for too many people. And so we actually have many common medicines. The purple pill, for example, right. is one of the great reasons why people lack the basic B complex and magnesium that they need to survive. It's not like these are elective folks. You have to take them in from the outside. They're called essential because your body can't make them. But if you take them in, you'll be protected. And if you don't take them in, you're at risk. And what are some of those? Oh, vitamin A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Specifically, I mean the carotenoids from which beta carotene and vitamin A come. Specifically. But can't we get that from carrots and sweet potatoes? Do you know that a carrot in 1950 had about... 10 milligrams of beta carotene. And if you have a carrot in your whole food store today that says organic, it has two milligrams. And if you have a carrot today in your standard commercial supermarket, if it has any uh, beta carotene or zinc in it, I'd be surprised. And yes, it's still orange. Interesting. But so it's back to the argument that nutritionally our food is so deficient that we really do have to supplement in ways to make our body whole. Yes. When you monocrop, when you grow carrots, then carrots, then carrots, then carrots, then carrots, you deplete the soil. When you rotate the crops and enrich them in a certain cycle, then you can restore the nutritional uh, competence and density. But the companies that make carrots today are now growing baby carrots because they can't even get the car the, the soil is so the, the topsoil is so thin that they can only grow carrots about two or three inches long. And so most of the carrots you get today in the supermarket are these little baby carrots. And they're orange. But go go measure how much zinc there is in those carrots. I do that because that's what I'm supposed to do. And there's almost undetectable zinc, almost undetectable carotenoid. They are still orange. But when the soil is depleted, how could you ever imagine that the food that is grown on that depleted soil would be nutritionally dense and would protect you from ill health? So you do believe that we should be supplementing with a vitamin, or do you recommend that people get tested to see where the deficiencies are before they begin a supplementation routine? Very good question. If you're living in the 20th century, it's a choice. If you're living in the 21st century, you must supplement, and the only question is how much. Uh, very interesting. And how do you decide how much to supplement? Well, that's where we have actual evidence so that individuals can determine how much they need. So, for example, you measure your urine pH after six or more hours of rest, and that tells you how much magnesium and choline citrate, only choline citrate, that's the only form of choline that enhances the uptake and chaperones the delivery, you need. And then you go on, you measure your transit time. How long does it take from when you eat until you eliminate? 
Now, when I have roast beets at night as a main course for dinner, I see red in the commode in the morning. That's right. Because my transit time is a healthy 12 to 18 hours. But I will tell you, after all these years, when I first see the red in the morning, my first thought isn't, oh, I had beets last night. My first thought is, oh, my gosh, I have blood in the urine. I mean, blood in the, in the commode. Right. Then I realized, oh, I really ate beets last night. So we use charcoal capsules to determine the transit time, which should be 12 to 18 hours. And the average American, average American, has a three to seven day transit time. So very often people who are regular are eliminating today what came in a week ago. And why is that, Dr. Jeff? Because we have a low slant, uh, slow transit time because we lack prebiotics, we lack probiotics, we lack symbiotics, we lack the essential nutrients that make for a healthy transit, a healthy time from consumption to elimination. We have enteropathy. We have atrophy. We have an epidemic of digestive disorders in the microbiome. We don't put enough fiber in, and therefore we don't get enough stool out. How much fiber do you recommend? I've heard 40 grams. What, what are your numbers? Well, it's not my number. It's Dr. Dennis Burkett's number. Dr. Dennis Burkett, who won the Nobel Prize, says 40 grams is a minimum mm -hmm. of unprocessed fiber. 40 to 100 grams a day is what I learned from Dennis Burkett in regard to unprocessed fiber. And if you're not chewing your, your food a lot, you must supplement with unprocessed fiber, you know, 40 to 80 grams a day. And four grams is a tenth of 40. So there are many people who get the average American, which is four, five, six, eight, ten 10 grams a day, which is, let me check, a quarter of the minimum, and uh, they have a long transit time because of that. Fiber is what creates the bulk that allows the good bugs to move along so that you can eliminate the cadaverine, putrescine, and other toxic metabolites from your colon. I know that a lot of people can say, putrescine, cadaverine, I don't want that in my colon. I hope you don't want that in yours. Mm -hmm. So if you have a healthy transit time, you don't have to worry. And if you have an American transit time, you should be very concerned. What do you recommend in increasing the transit time for someone who is at this point on a three-day cycle? So I think I'm hearing you say prebiotics, probiotics. What yes. else? Prebiotics. Fiber. Let's start with the, with the simple. Let's start with the prebiotics, probiotics, and symbiotes. 40 to 100 grams of unprocessed fiber, um, such as Perk Digestigard. Um, then 40 to 100 billion probiotic healthy organisms either in fermented foods like active culture yogurt or kimchi or uh, live sauerkraut or pickles. And if you're not getting a lot of uh, active live um, fermented foods, then 40 to 100 probiotic organisms of multiple human strains from things like Perk Digestigard, where we have 5 billion organisms per capsule. And I take them by the handful. And, mm. and when I travel, I take an extra handful and I want you to know a lot of people, including myself, have been in places where everyone else got sick, but I didn't, and the people who followed my advice didn't, because we were taking a lot of the good bugs that crowded out the bad bugs that we all got exposed to. Smart, smart. So 
prebiotics, probiotics, symbiotics. And symbiotics is the recycled glutamine. Now, symbiotics means glutamine. Glutamine is the energy source for the enterocytes, the cells that line the intestinal tract. Mm-hmm. But if you take a lot of the glutamine, you could build up glutamate. You could imbalance the asparagine. You don't want to do that. So we figured out how to recycle the glutamine. Recycle the glutamine. So you take one and a half grams of glutamine, get 10 times the benefit. You get the benefit of 15 grams of free glutamine on rising and before bed. And if you exercise, do that a half an hour before exercise, and you will increase your tolerance and shorten your recovery time. And talk to anyone who has done that, who is an elite athlete, and they will absolutely tell you that they won't go without it. And I have a dear friend who's a conductor of a symphony orchestra, and he cannot get through a Mahler symphony without taking this recycled glutamine. Good to know. And you mentioned this test that we can take first thing in the morning. What test is that? It's called urine pH. It costs about a dollar a day. Okay. You measure the acid alkaline balance. You want to be in the green six and a half to seven and a half zone. If you're yellow, which means below six and a half, too much acid, too little magnesium. And if you're consistently above seven and a half, you might be tearing yourself down with something called catabolic illness. Call us or communicate with us. We'll explain that on the site. Got it. Now, does everybody need the same amount of magnesium? So as we look at men versus women, women in their 20s and 30s versus women who are in their menopause, how does the magnesium needs of the body change? Well, very important question. Um, The bottom line answer is, if you are in the industrial world, if you're in America or Europe, which we are, mm-hmm. well, then you're getting between 50%, 40%, and 10% of the magnesium you need. So do you want to be marginally deficient, profoundly deficient, or grossly deficient? Mm-hmm. And then you have many medicines that cause a wasting of magnesium. So if you're on water pills and diuretics, that tends to waste magnesium. If you're on blood pressure medicine, that tends to waste magnesium. Uh, Very often the cancer chemotherapy called cisplatinum and platinum chemotherapies, um, intravenous magnesium is given before and after an infusion of those therapies because low magnesium induced by that therapy causes such cramps and such other consequences that very often they have to wait on the beneficial uh, chemotherapy because of the magnesium wasting. And then you have eclampsia of pregnancy and diabetes and uh, atrial fibrillation and uh, other, other kinds of situations where low magnesium is the cause. But in the past, we haven't known how to get it in. We haven't known how much people need it. Now we know how to get it in, and we know how much people need based on the first morning urine pH, and you take as many doses as you need, 220 milligrams of elemental magnesium plus a teaspoon of choline citrate, must be choline citrate, no other form of choline works, Mm. but 220 milligrams of elemental magnesium plus a teaspoon of choline citrate to enhance the uptake and chaperone the delivery, and you take as many doses of that you need to make, so that after rest, your urine pH is within the six and a half to seven and a half healthy zone. Let's talk about allergies and allergy testing. So I think what you're also implying is I've, I've read a lot of your literature is that if you have food sensitivities or allergies that can create acidity in the body. Is that true? 
Yes, in fact, just two weeks ago, in Scientific American, there was a headline that, sell, that says, acid inside nerves kills. And I thought, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. Hmm. So they looked at a mere 1,300 scientific articles and they found every time the nerve inside your brain is more alkaline, mm. it's more resistant. And every time the nerves inside your brain or someone else's brain are more acid, your moods are worse, your defenses are worse, your neurohormones are off, you're more likely to have schizophrenia or bipolar disorders, mm you're more likely to have learning disabilities or autism. You're more likely to have Alzheimer's. Should I go on? I mean, the, 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 the association between cellular acidosis, low magnesium, and um, premature death with lots of suffering at high cost is now so compelling that people like me just need to explain to everyone that we must, 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 get the magnesium in, and the lead, mercury, cadmium, arsenic, and nickel toxic metals out, but you have to get the magnesium in in order to get the bad stuff out. How do you get the bad stuff out? What do you recommend there? The more alkaline you are, the more easy it is to remove the bad stuff. So if you have enough magnesium, which is an alkaline mineral, that will prevent the lead from coming in or the other toxic metals like mercury and cadmium from coming in. And if they're in your body, the best way to remove them is to have magnesium displace them and then vitamin C in sufficient amounts based on your C-cleanse, the ascorbate based on your C-cleanse, can chaperone, chaperone safely remove, can chaperone, can wrap around and safely remove the toxic metals without harming them. And then you take high sulfur foods, G-G-O-B-E, garlic, ginger, onions, brassica sprouts, and eggs, high sulfur foods, mm -hmm. as staples in your diet, which is what Thomas Jefferson recommended way back when. And so I'm a Jeffersonian Democrat when it comes to nutrition. I want you to have enough G-G-O-B-E, enough ascorbate, enough B-complex, enough magnesium to survive the 21st century. Your test, ELISA slash ACT, let's talk a little bit. Let's dive deeper into that test. What prompted you to create it? Because there's a ton of tests out there. ALCAT's a test I've taken. I know Genova Diagnostics does a test. There's a lot of food sensitivity tests out there. Talk about how your test is different from the others and what prompted you to create it. Yes, indeed. Um, there are many confusing tests, including IgG antibody, ELISA IgG, serology tests, uh, cooked foods, uncooked foods, but they're measuring antibodies, which means they cannot tell you good from bad, and they miss the more important. And what do I mean by that? They cannot tell you whether it's a helpful antibody or a harmful antibody, and they miss the fact that the T cells, which don't need any antibodies at all, are responsible for a half to two-thirds of all the food sensitivities anyway. So we use an ex vivo. Ex vivo means um, in the laboratory but reacting just as it does in the body. An ex vivo LRA, a lymphocyte response assay, a white cell, Lymphocytes are specialized white cells that carry the memory of your experience. 
And the LRA tells you whether you're tolerant or intolerant to over 500 foods, chemicals, preservatives, or medications and toxins. You can do all of that if you want or a subset if you prefer. And we can give you the information from the T cells and the B cells and we can resolve the confusion that other tests like IgG tests and particle size tests like ALCAT or uh, mediator release tests, which look through a glass darkly at a complement and some other things that are kind of confusing and upside down most of the time. But the ex vivo LRA that we developed has less than a 3% variance on 4,300 consecutive, not one missed, consecutive blind split samples. As reported at Experimental Biology, as, exported, as reported at the American Society for Investigative Pathology, we do the most high-precision ex vivo, outside the body, but reacting just as it happens in the body, functional, not dysfunctional, not non-functional, a truly functional immune tolerance intolerance test. And guess what? You do not react against everything. So if you do antibody tests, you'll often find 80% or more of the items showing antibodies, most of which are helpful and confused by doctors who don't know better and labs who don't know better as harmful. So now you, you take away a lot of things that you don't need to and you miss the true reactors from the T cells because you didn't get the T cells because they're not antibody mediated. And by the way, we have over 80,000 cases and over 25 million cell cultures in our database. And we compare each person with themselves mm -hmm. and we invite them to fill out a health appraisal questionnaire so that we can personalize the recommendations. How much vitamin do they need based on our experience? What exactly do they need to substitute and where are hidden places where they might find that same reactive substance or something that cross-reacts with that substance? So we get very detailed, very personal, very precise, and we think that's why we get such good results. Oh, that's great to hear. What's the pricing? Well, that's a good question. It, when I started, it would cost you 300 US dollars in 1983 to measure one substance uh, by lymphocyte response assay. Today, we charge less than $3 per item, but we do them in groups so that we can be very efficient. And if you want just a few items, that might cost you a few hundred dollars. If you want more comprehensive testing, that might cost six or $800. But in terms of value, it saves lives. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Jeff, help our listeners understand how to interpret these results once they come back from the lab. Often these results come in, you know, here's the foods you can take. They are in red. And here's the foods you, you may be able to take in a few months. And then here's the ones you should really be cautious then uh, it's hard to sometimes execute on these because there's so many items on there sometimes. And, you know, it's like my red's garlic. How do I live without garlic? It's in everything if you eat out. So help our listeners understand how do they go from getting these results to actually applying these results? And what do you typically recommend in terms of rotating these foods in and out? Well, one option is rotation. However, a lot of the confusion comes because 
many, many people have beneficial, neutralizing, helpful, protective IgG antibodies that are misunderstood on the old serology, ELISA IgG, um, ALCAT type of particle size uh, testing, uh, standard IgG testing. These are misunderstood when they're actually helpful as harmful. And then we miss the more important T cell reactions, which you can only get from a cell culture. So the reason we started in the early 1980s, the LRA lymphocyte response assay, was to give an ex vivo cell culture with high precision, high reproducibility, so that people could find out both the harmful antibodies without confusion from the helpful antibodies, and importantly, the immune complexes and T cell responses, all in a single, affordable, mixed cell culture. So what used to cost hundreds of dollars per item now costs a few dollars per item. So you can test hundreds of foods, chemicals, medicines, toxins, and find out what you really react against and what you're tolerant to. So you don't have to avoid a lot of things you don't need to avoid, and you don't miss a lot of things you do need to avoid. And by the way, out of a, say, typical 300-item cell culture, we rarely find more than a dozen true reactors. Mm. And so this notion that you react against the 21st century or you react against everything is based on the fact that you have a lot of protective neutralizing antibodies that are helpful, misunderstood as harmful, and then you miss the T-cell reaction, so you have a double jeopardy, which we don't recommend. That makes a lot of sense. What do you believe around the huge epidemic around food allergies, especially as we're starting to see it occur in a higher rate in kids and teens? What do you believe is driving this higher incidence of food allergies? And do you believe that someone who does have severe allergies can at some point be allergy-free? Yes. We, we have seen many people go from intolerant to tolerant, which means from allergic or allergenic or reactive or atopic to uh, tolerant. Uh, and more importantly, it is very common today because of antibiotic and other therapies for young people to have such maldigestion, dysbiosis, leaky gut syndrome, enteropathy, uh, atrophy of their digestive mechanism, etc., that they really have significant maldigestion, they really have significant problem taking in the nutrients that they're eating. And by the way, the foods they're eating, if they're a typical young person in America, are not the healthiest foods because they're more processed, uh, they're more chipped and crisp, uh, they're more rich in omega-6 and depleted in omega-3, uh, they are richer in sodium and calcium and poor in potassium and magnesium, uh, they are poor in unprocessed fiber, and they're rich in toxic metabolites. That is a formula for creating chronic illness. That is not a formula for creating good health in the population. This has been wonderful, very enlightening. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come chat with us today. As we wrap up, what is the one or two top recommendations you have for those who are listening to us and wanting to get to greater health what are they missing and what do you recommend they do? I recommend following my mentor, Bob Mendelson, into nature, nurture, and wholeness. Eat a diet you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. Eat foods that are uncontaminated, which means finding the sources for uncontaminated foods. 
know where your foods come from, from farm to table, and rejoice in the portion you've been given. Beautifully said. Thank you so much again. And for the rest of you, you heard it. You know what you need to do. Stay smiling. Stay healthy. I'll see you on another episode. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.